Welcome to another edition of Packy Chat, episode number 15. That's pretty awesome. Uh, we're now uh, in the end of September. We've been doing this since the beginning of March. Um, so it's pretty good. 15 episodes in a few months. We've now, since, uh, as I said last month, we're reducing our time uh, at the, you know, on the microphone to getting together just once a month. Uh, trying to get something out once a month. It was becoming too hectic for a while, getting these out every week or every other week, you know, real life getting in the way. So we've uh, reduced them to once a month, but really appreciate all the likes, comments, uh, suggestions, uh, positive feedback we've been getting from everybody uh, on Facebook, or messaging us, sending me emails, whatever it is. I appreciate it. I appreciate every single one of you guys that listen uh, and take the time to give us a like and a follow. Uh, even more so that take the time to uh, send us suggestions on things you want to hear us talk about. Really, really appreciate it. So as I said, here it is the end of September. COVID's still going strong. We're still uh, getting together via Zoom. We're really hoping that next month we'd all get together uh, at a conference, or this month, whether we're getting together for a conference uh, like AZA or next month at EMA or whatever it is, um, getting together face to face, talking to some other people, talking to each other and doing things that way. But nonetheless, but with the country still shut down and us getting together via zoom, you know, we kind of got to do what we got to do and that's great. Uh, making the best of it. This, uh, this episode was, um, we have, we have a handful of things from some people that have sent us messages on topics they want to hear about. So this week we got together the four of us to talk about stereotypic behavior, a uh, little bit about it, our experience dealing with it, um, things we've, the few things we've done to try to manage it, really uh, proactively manage it. Uh, so we just kind of went that route this week. Um, so I hope you guys uh, enjoy it. And again, as always, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, give us a like and follow whatever outlet you use to listen to us. We appreciate it. And send us any comments you have for future talks because uh, we love to hear from you all. But anyways, let's get to it for this week. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Stereotypy kind of is what it is, right? I mean, there's been, I think that, uh, I mean, the ILMLS thing looked at stereotypy some. For our elephants, I don't know what is stereotypy what is anticipation i mean i guess it's still stereotypy but what is from what is due to anticipation and routine uh what has been self-reinforced for the last 35 years of their life that they're going to do it regardless i mean you see some of them do it when they they eat when they get you know what i mean so i don't know well you know me too because it gets into the real you can get real technical. Some people want to talk about the biochemistry and all that kind of stuff. Whenever I see an elephant doing something, you ask about anticipatory or or not. I just ask myself, is the elephant even aware that it's doing it? Oh, you, there's probably times where you see people standing at the bus stop or standing in one spot, and they're just like kind of, you know, rocking back and forth. Um, I know I've been in situations before where I wasn't really aware of what my movements were. You're not aware of what's what's really going on. You break something like that. Does your brain automatically go into autopilot and it's just happening? If you're not aware of it, does that mean that's not probably anticipatory? Me anticipatory would be like, I gotta do this because I know this will happen. But 
I don't understand the same as you what what that fine line is. I always, almost always saw it in elephants that spent nights on restraints. What else are they going to do? You know, when food's gone, they, they're, they're not ready to go to sleep, they sway. I never really saw it in many captive-born elephants that, um, that weren't restrained overnight until recently. I mean, one of ours, uh, our, one of our little ones who has never spent any significant amount of time on restraints, for anything like she never even was one that we treated for the herp so she didn't spend time on restraints for that uh she has stereotypic behavior and it's it's frustrating because i don't know uh how it manifested what we did to reinforce it to make it uh keep going but um you know it'll be interesting to see if any of the elephants that you know had spent nights tied and don't anymore if I think it'll take a long time, but if their if their behavior changes, you know, the my working institution had seven elephants. It was a northern climate. Now the seven elephants, when when they're outside, um, not one second of stereotypic uh, behavior or any anticipatory or repetitive behavior at all um, when the group is together. But when they came inside and they had to be separated, two always sometimes three exhibited some repetitive or stereotypic behavior and these are elephants that never spent um any amount of time you know on restraints at all so it's interesting that if why that is it was a northern climate so they did spend a fair bit of time in a um in a building inside in in a you know smaller area of course compared to outside and it's interesting in that same environment two of them developed that and it wasn't until we started to see um, a, herd, a herd diminish as they got older. And they got to a point where we were from seven down to six, you know, down to five. And I think it was when we got down to about, for sure, three, maybe four, those two same elephants that we would see that inside, we would see that behavior starting to exhibit itself um, outside for some reason. So something triggered, you know, it's predictable inside when they're separate, not even they're separate, the two of them would sway sometimes in unison together. But it wasn't until the herd started decreasing um, that we started seeing that same behavior outside. So it's still a mystery to me of why, you know, why in some circumstances, and this is over like a, almost a, almost a 20 year period. Now they'd already been in that facility for, for a decade and a half when I started working with them and they had that behavior. But it's funny, even after 20 years, um, they started exhibiting it outside when the herd dynamics changed. Hmm. Well, there's plenty yeah. of people that have done research on this and stuff. And, you know, and, and some of the stuff that we're saying here that we've experienced and we've seen in some of our anecdotal reasonings or hypothesis or whatever might be, you know, nonsense to some people. But, you know, they, they say it's a coping mechanism. Well, coping with what, right? So coping with the fact that you're impatient. You know, you don't have to be having the weight of the world on your shoulders every day to be coping with something. So is it, the, you know, coping with impa your impatient nature, you know, as we talked about anticipatory things, the next feeding or to be shifted or whatever, anticipating a training session or an interaction with keepers, whatever. But I think there's also, <clears throat> there's also a, a genetic predisposition to it. I mean, I worked with three elephants that were basically the same age, basically had the same 
um, history. They had the same management. They had the same everything. And one out of the three did it. And, you know, but so, but why was it, was it in, in response to, you know, the, the social hierarchy that they had and the fact that she was, you know, coping with that? Um, or, you know, who knows really, you know, and, and then had another elephant that kind of what Daryl was saying earlier about spending lots of time tied up and in trailers and, you know, whatever. And there was a lot of swaying and, and her situation completely changed. And we saw a huge reduction in the amount of time that she did it. And we, but, you know, there was, you know, as far as rhyme or reason, there were certain times where, you know, she would just take, you know, 10 minutes, go hang out by herself, do it, and then kind of go back to being normal. Now, quote unquote, normal, um, you know, back with the group and socialize and all that stuff. So who knows, really? I mean, the, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough question. And, and, and as far as, you know, the, when they pick it up, I mean, you know, there's, there's some, <clears throat> some people say that there's observational learning or whatever. And then who knows? I had a, I had a friend, I had a friend in high school, not that this is exactly the same, but I had a friend in high school that actually got addicted to smoking because he would, when we were all hanging out, he would grab a cigarette and light it and make fun of the other guys that were smoking. And we used to, and it was pretty hilarious. So he used to do it all the time and we'd egg him on to do it. And he actually ended up getting hooked on cigarettes. So, you know, I don't know if it's, I have no idea if there's an observational learning piece or, or that elephant that you have, um, the one that was born into your place started doing it. I don't know if it's, if it's a genetic thing from, from, you know, his or her mother, you know, maybe they're a swayer and maybe there's a higher predisposition to do that. I mean, who knows? Um, I think, I think for me, you know, I, 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 you know, to your earlier point about the ones that are, you know, they're historical, you know, what we know about their history could, could explain, you know, their propensity to do it. But, you know, the ones that were born into it, I think largely you're right. We don't see it. And I think that's a good thing. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that an elephant sways or doesn't sway, um, you know, certainly an elephant that has, is, has it, you know, in their historical repertoire, I don't think we can ever get rid of it. I think it gets pretty hardwired in the animals. I think you can reduce it and that should be your goal. But elimination is, I think elimination is not, is not um, reasonable. So for me, it's, it's, reduction or prevention i think is the is the best thing we can do and and um and i think largely I, it would be interesting to see if a lot of these um you know zoo-born animals with relatively normal upbringings and herd situations in our in our more modern programs it'd be interesting to see if the what the proportion is of animals that do it versus don't do it versus animals of another age you know a, an older age or different you know backgrounds or certainly the ones that came to us out of, you know, most of the African elephants that are between, you know, 25 and 45 that came out of culls and things like that. It'd be interesting to see if there's a, a difference based on management. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I think the jury's probably still out on that because none of those animals are old enough. Right. Cause you know, maybe it's something that takes years to learn if you're not on tethers. Right. Cause I agree with that. Um, but same thing. And at a place I used to work, um, we had an animal, she's tw in her twenties and uh, she started to, when she would come inside for the afternoon, we would, she would get fed and she started anticipating that. So she started doing a tiny bit of a sway. I mean, it was very minimal, but of course the whole program, we all shifted into, you bet, we better nip that in the bud and try to 
get her her food. And as soon as she came in, she got her training session and then she got her food, you know, to try to be proactive on that side. But I don't know what it's like now, but she was headed down that road for sure. And the same thing, no tethers, no, no anything. Right. Um, so I, that's why I don't know if it's, you know, I, that's why I would say maybe the jury's still out on some of these younger animals that haven't, haven't picked up on it yet, you know? Um, but I think in, in, in our situation, um, I agree. There's no way we're getting rid of it, you know? And I think, you know, we have a, we have, it, it, it we'll see. I mean, it'd be very interesting. Um, but my prediction would be, you know, some of them might just go out in the forest and, and turn into wild elephants. Right. But, um, I bet we still have a lot of it because it's just really difficult. I mean, you know, Rex, we, we, uh, I mean, we gave him brand new yards, brand new looks when he first arrived and he still did it. He'd been, he, he went into a yard that he'd never been in before. The grass was probably a foot high. Um, and he was, he was swaying within 30 minutes of being in that environment. So I think it's, <laughs> it's really different. It's tough to get rid of. So, um, if you see it, try to, be proactive, I guess, right? Well, yeah. I think I think it becomes I think it becomes a fallback. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, you know sucking your thumb as a coping mechanism when you're a kid, and then eventually somebody says, "Hey, you know, if you if you're getting ready to be a freshman in college and you're still sucking your thumb, somebody's like, what the hell are you that weirdo over there?'" I think there's there's social ramifications of re of coping mechanisms that we might do that that don't apply, but. Um, but regardless of how good or, or how good an elephant program is, all all the animals have to cope with something at some point in their life and their day. There's no question. Now, the 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 severity or you know of that, if you will, can can be different, obviously. And obviously, we know that some some animals, older animals, have had to cope with with other things or you know, I guess heavier things maybe or or different management systems that would that would make you have to cope. But I mean, there's no question that every animal's got to cope with something. And like I said, it could be how you deal with just how you deal with the fact that you're impatient. You know what's going to happen next. How am I going to deal with that? No, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm glad that we're having this discussion because I'm sure si- pe- people in the, on the science field are, oh, this is why and this is that. One, you can never jump into an elephant's head. But two, I like the fact that the four of us are just talking. This is common, you know, regular guys speaking about this, you know. So I would hope that the people listening to this would appreciate it's just coming from, you know, a, a, a zoo level versus scientific level. You know, does that yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not a layman's perspective, but it's, it's a, just yeah. coming from a collective 120 years of experience. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's not, it's not, yeah, but, it, you know, we don't have any, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And things like that. We just, yeah. we're just sort of reciting, you know, what we've seen in the, in the, yeah situations in which we see it and what we do about it and what we kind of think about it. But yeah, it's, it's hard to say, you know what it is, but you know, and, and not only that, we've also seen a fair number of elephants in in you know zoo type situations, or you know, um, and how it manifests itself and the strategies we've done to either right. to to reduce right. it, and then you know, obviously, like we've talked about, the ones that do it or don't do it, and and the commonalities or or differences between them. It's funny because I never thought of the behavior being learned, but her mother is a is a very heavy swear. Um, she's re- it's reduced it quite a bit, but she's still a, a very heavy swayer. So uh, I never thought about it being something learned, something to consider for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I know that there's there's absolutely you know observational learning with some animals, and 
you know, you hear it with marine mammals and things all the time. I personally haven't seen it a whole lot with elephants. Um, in personally, and, and well, and I shouldn't say I'm sure about that. I mean, but things that I could kind of look at and go, oh, that looks like you know behavior that they've picked up from watching another one. I mean, certainly not when we've done you know training sessions and an elephant just purely picks up a you know another behavior through a training session. But when they're living together, you know, and they're and they're you know hanging out together all the time, what they pick up is different. So I don't I don't know. I mean, I I put it out there because it's a possibility. I don't know that it's. Um, you know, that it's uh, the right answer. But, you know, also there's a whole lot of biological things that could be happening, you know, when they talk about like, you know, whether it's the, uh, you know, um, you know, the hormones and, and things that happen when you, when you do certain behaviors and, you know, dopamine or, you know, all those different things that can, can happen. So who knows? I mean, who knows how you stumble into something and then it becomes a habit. But, and it's one of those things where I think, you know, I think they're, the way they're wired, it becomes something that they, they, it's an easy fallback and it just, I think it just gets branded in there and it's tough to get rid of. I I, I mean, I agree with all that, but the thing, you know, I think there's observational learning going on all the time. And I think it's generally with things that we don't put a lot of focus on, you know, you look at, especially when you have young elephants and the things they start to do that, that uh, other elephants have done to either get attention or to, to do you know, stuff in the yard when they when they walk towards the door because they know the timing of you know when keepers are when lunch is or whatever it is but I think there's a ton of observational learning from elephants in particular um, like I said I've never used it very much in a structured way to teach a behavior but I see it I see elephants do things that we've never even thought about training them that they've already tried to solicit because I think they see other elephants get reinforced for it yeah, I yeah well, I mean, that's some for something as simple as uh, dust bathing and mud, you know, throwing mud on themselves. I think they learn that from other elephants. I mean, a simple example like that, you know, I think applies. Well, and it's funny because some of that stuff too is, you know, like I said, I I haven't seen it, you know, in and again I, things that I've looked for, but I'm always on the fence about how many of those things, you know, I in my career I've always said, you know, there's been times where I've said, I, you know, that the instinctual part of, of being an elephant and the learn things, you know, that you learn from your herd mates, whatever, to be an elephant. It's tough because I, you know, sometimes I, I don't give them enough, um, as far as the instinctual stuff. And, and especially when it comes around like uh, taking care of calves and being a mom and things like that. For me, you know, there's a lot of things that are, I don't give them enough credit sometimes for the instincts that just sort of automatically kick in. So when we talk about stuff like, Hey, you know, how do you, you know, how do you learn how to throw dust on your back? Or do you just, is it, is it an innate, is it an innate thing or the way an elephant will twirl their hay in their trunk before they eat it? Is that just something that's sort of hardwired in or is it something they learn? And then something earlier, you talked about, uh, you know, reducing or eliminating. Yeah. We say it all, all the time, you know, with aggression or anything, if you're looking to eliminate something entirely, man, you're going to beat your head against the wall. Let's focus on reducing it uh, first uh, and be and be satisfied with that. But if you're looking to eliminate aggression or eliminate swaying or eliminate stereotypy or whatever, and that's your goal from the beginning, ooh, I think you set your you set, I think you set your goal pretty high. So I agree with the the reducing thing. I also think that you know years ago, elephants, and I always I mean when I think stereotypy, I think swaying. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that are stereotypic, but swaying is what just always comes to mind for me. Um, but, you know, 
15 years ago in Elephant Suede and no, nobody, nobody cared. No one did anything about it. We put so much focus on it now. Um, and, and I think it shows because, I mean, I remember going through exhibits, you know, years ago and they'd all be sitting in there bobbing and swaying and doing whatever. And now there's, you know, whether it's, whether it's interaction from the staff or exhibit design or whatever it is, there's definitely a conscious effort to keep these elephants more stimulated and you definitely see less, less uh, stereotypy. And I think that's a good thing for sure. Yeah. But when you talk about elimination, I mean, I've heard, I've worked around people who want to do eliminate it because, you know, if you're talking about aggression or other things where you're, you're talking about, you know, whether you like it or not, it's, it's that sort of a normal piece of, of, of a normal behavioral repertoire, you know, and, and somebody might look at an elephant who sways and be like, well, that elephant doesn't sway. So you don't, you don't have to, right. An elephant doesn't have to sway. So I can get rid of that. You know what I mean? And I think, I think it's really challenging. I mean, exactly like aggression or anything else. And we do work to, to reduce aggression. But again, when we talk about the normal, you know, expression of, of what we consider normal behaviors, aggression is part of it. And we hope it's not, you know, over the top and um, detrimental to the, to the welfare of any of the elephants, obviously. But, you know, when we look at something like stereotypy, we look at it as like this, this sort of a, I don't know, in, in some regards, people would look at it as a, a failure of, oh, that's bad. That's bad. That's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And that's the kind of stuff we're trying to prevent. And if we can get rid of it, we've, we have this victory, which, you know, is not necessarily wrong all the way, but I think, um, I think that the nature of that behavior is, it's not going to go anywhere. So again, yeah, I mean, as we've talked about, reduction is key. Elimination is, is not, now, and like I, that's why I also said elimination and prevention, because anything we can do to keep elephants stimulated, enriched, all those different things to avoid it, I think, I think it is absolutely um, reasonable and attainable to, to prevent it. You know, I look back and I, you know, I think one of the most difficult questions that I had, and I think we all have, uh, if one of our guests asks us, why is this elephant doing that? And as we just explored here, you know, we got a lot of experience right here. And the underlying tone that we're saying right now is that we don't really know. It's really complex. It's very difficult when we kind of do the best layman or stumble through an answer to satisfy our guests' concern when it's very easy for other people to say, it's because they're bored. They got nothing to do. And all of a sudden, a real easy negative reason of why they're doing it um, seems more plausible when the rest of us are trying to kind of stumbling figure it out of how to answer that and the reason for that you talk to your new regular guests they're not interested in talking about even if i could serotonin dopamine and all that stuff i'd just be guessing all that stuff and and we're just doing the best we can to guess for that but i'm glad that you know like i said 15 years ago you're right um why was it more accepted I don't know. I think, you know, we all worked elephants 15 years ago. You know, did we accept them more? Are we more sensitive now? Why do we say it's bigger deals? And more because we're understanding? Do we know because more people are bringing it to our attention and we can't really avoid it? You know, we are, you know, not that we were avoiding it, but it was um, something that 15 years ago wasn't a bigger part of my life, dealing with the public or dealing with even in the elephant community. It wasn't talked as much. Now a lot of facilities are doing our assessments and now we're giving tools to keepers and to elephant people saying, here, do this assessment on this elephant. And in the, you know, 
most likely most assessments have questions about stereotypy and we have to answer things like they sometimes do it is it frequently or is it rare and then all of a sudden we're starting to put trying to put a um, to quantify not only what they do but the severity of how long is it that they're doing it for so whether we like it or not i think the science is creeping into our every single day right now with these assessments that some of us are doing. So I think that is also gonna trigger us to take more action than we did in the, in the future. Um, and that's great that we're doing some actions, but it's very difficult to figure out what those actions are and try to figure out, because the problem's still there, hasn't gone away. You know, if we used to get, you know, those of you that had calf, you said that um, we talked about, we wonder whether it is a learned behavior. Now, if you have a mom or, herdmates that are maybe prone to this type of behavior do you in the back of your mind you try to think well is there any way we could try to um, reduce the exposure of this animal that a management technique that if we think this animal is going to learn this unwanted behavior we be proactive in that account to try to um, manage this animal a little bit differently so you know for me i think where it changed for me about becoming more you know trying to reduce it uh or prevent it um was one when i realized uh it could be done that that uh, i was seeing other elephants that were uh were swayers and they weren't as much and then two the more we know about you know wild elephants um i'm sure you know wild elephants especially ones that are you know here farmers coming at them with guns or torches or whatever they exhibit some sort of a coping mechanism when they hear things. You, you see the, the African elephants have a reaction when they hear helicopters and whatever. Um, but anyways, to know that the wild elephants didn't do it uh, as much as elephants in human care do it is when I started to at least make it more of a priority to try to reduce it. And I think just naturally as exhibits change, as reduction in time spent in smaller stalls or holding yards or whatever changes uh, as you know the expectation of zoos to have bigger bigger exhibits more naturalistic stuff I think those behaviors automatically uh, start to diminish somewhat um, you know some things from the IMLS study about number of feedings and duration of feeding and all that stuff played into it for me of, of making those changes um, but the other thing is do we know it's a bad thing I mean, so what if one does it? I think it, I think it looks bad sometimes, especially if you have a heavy swear, but do we know it's not good for them? Well, I think that's the thing is I think for some, for some animals, that, that's a great question. I would say that maybe it depends on the situation. You know, I, I think um, for some, the, the fact that they've manifested, it means that they are somehow coping. I guess we can, we can decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing based on, you know, the intensity or, you know, if you're spending your whole day doing it, you know what I mean? It, you know, if your time budget is eaten up by standing there swaying back and forth, I guess we could all agree that that's sort of not, not normal and not what we want to see. But I think the silver lining of this, of some of these behaviors is that they are informative. So, um, you know, the, the presence of it, whether they're doing it or not, or, um, you know, if you're changing a, a situation where I was just talking earlier about a, an elephant introduction and, you know, prior to the introduction, they weren't doing it. Shortly after the introduction started, they were doing it. So, you know, they said, oh, well, that's something's changed here. So we can we can try to 
uh, infer or or figure out what's going on in that you know to the best of our ability what's changed or how that elephant's doing in a moment um, or a period of time based on the, whether they are doing it or not doing it. But also we've seen it before, like a metronome. Like we, we, we know that the, the, the intensity or the, or the pace um, or the rhythm of it can, can, can also um, indicate different things too. So, you know, the silver lining is that if they're doing it, it's, it is telling you something it's informative. Right. And we can, and there's certain things we can draw from it and we can adjust our management accordingly. But I agree with that to some extent, but you know, the whole time we're on these calls, you know, I either, <laughs> I'm either shuffling or fanning a deck of cards, palming coins. Today I found this little freaking like twist tie thing that I've been playing with the whole time we're talking. I'm a fidgety son of a bitch. So I'm guessing some elephants must be that way too. Mm-hmm. Some animals. Sure. And that's what I was talking about earlier about the genetic predisposition to do it. You know, there's certainly, there's certainly some animals, like I told you before, you know, the ones that all have the same upbringing and they're all quote unquote the same, but they're not right. One decides to do it for whatever reason. So, you know, I'm not saying, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's, it may be valuable. Um, but what does that look like? I mean, I, if, if, if you couldn't exist without bringing that twist tie thing with you around with you everywhere, then I would say, Oh, that's kind of weird, dude. You know what I mean? But if you, but if you're just fidgeting in a different way just to pass the time or something and you, and you have the ability to stop or, or you're not doing it at weird times or, or, you know, um, I think that's one thing, but for us, you know, or, or how elephants are perceived and then how we're perceived based on the fact that we're taking care of them, right. These are all things that factor into our decisions about whether it's good or bad or what we do about it or how we, how we adjust our management to deal with it. But, but again, I think it is, it is informative. It's another, it's another, it's another piece of information that tells you, you know, about that, what's going on with that elephant in a moment in time or, you know, a larger, a larger picture. I'm glad that clarified he is a fidgety son of a bitch because I just had an attention span of a four year old. <laughs> but if somebody, if somebody, um, you know, if they could see this, this video right now, what I'm watching is I'm watching the three of us staring intently into the camera and, and then swaying back and forth in his, uh, in his chair. If we did, had to do it right now, snap, like a snap video of the wellness of the He's four of us. He's just doing that to justify why all his elephants sway. See, it's normal. <laughs> they do copy, don't they? Yeah. We just did, we yeah, did it's normal. They learned it, they they learned it from, it from me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but if we look, and you know, to your point, saying whether it's a um, – it's actually a, a good thing or a bad thing is we just took a snapshot and saw and we see that, oh, look, they're typically swaying back and forth in his chair, but I don't think his wallet's being affected any more than the rest of us at all. So it's interesting that we say is that we have these tools that we're going to use and stereotypy is part of it. And it's, it, it comes with a bias that that automatically is, is bad. Um, we all think it's bad. And, you know, like what Brian was saying is that it is informative and we really have to step back and say, um, what are what are the factors that affect this animal? You know that is doing a stereotypic behavior. Is it causing a physical problem? Um, is it just because it looked bad or not? You know, it's a certain circumstances. I think it's really it's really good that we're jumping on and drawing attention to this behavior. But um, you know, also be careful that we don't swing the pendulum too far the other way and assuming that anybody that has an animal that shows any kind of behavior is automatically doing a, a bad job and there's something wrong with that animal at all. So, you know, I like the, the we're taking this approach of, of the, you know, when are they doing it? How often are they doing it? You know, what are circumstances? 
try to come up with some kind of problem solving to try to fix it. And if anybody doesn't go through that process and just come to the quick conclusion, this is bad, um, and it's so bad that we just don't know what to do with it, we just, let's just ignore it, or let's just stop doing it because it's too overwhelming. Um, yeah, it's interesting, you said fidgeting, maybe there are fidgeting elephants out there and it doesn't automatically mean um, that their, their welfare, their life is compromised. We talked an awful lot about it. What have we done to try to reduce it, prevent it, stop it? Again, for me, I'll just go back to the proactivity side of it because I'm lucky I haven't had a whole lot of it. But, uh, but just, move, you know, we would try to – so for, for the example, we would try to feed the animal before she started that anticipatory behavior. With Rex, um, we tried to move him a lot, right? And then that, the time feeders and things like that help, but then we would try to move him a lot. So, you know, we would watch him and say, okay, you know, he's going to be done eating at, you know, this hour, move him over to that yard and then move him back. And then, you know, but again, that was in a, in a nice setup, you know, where you could move animals around and things like that. So that's just what we've tried to do to be proactive is try to know kind of the time frame in which he would do it in his feeding schedule and things like that. Cause most of the time with him, it was when he was out of food, right? So we went to the time feeders, but then he would start swaying in between that, <laughs> those drops. So then, okay, well, you know, he, he does that then. But again, we never, you're never going to get rid of it. We, and we knew that, but what could we do to be proactive to try to reduce it? Because again, I think if, if you have somebody out there that's like, oh, we'll get rid of it, they just haven't done it long enough, right? <laughs> um, to know that it's, it's just really difficult. So again, I, I always go back to the proactive versus reactive but that's just kind of a blah answer. Yeah, I find it challenging too, is that um, a lot of times we, we deal in the, dealing with that behavior in the time that we are with the elephants. You know, for most of us, a lot of time the elephants are not around, we're not around in the elephants' lives. You know, I don't know how many of us um, have the, the data and the capability to really monitor elephants 24 seven, to really see. You know, is there times where they are actually practicing this behavior um, when we're not here? So is it we can reduce it when we're here? Or do they only do it when we're here? That'll lead more to, well, keepers are here, humans are here. Maybe it's more anticipatory. You know, um, I like the idea of being proactive and um, and unpredictable with their days. So they're not going to anticipate things. Edit off at the, um, you know, before it really starts. The technology maybe allows us to do more things with the time feeders overnight. But even time feeders are one thing. Um, we hear about, you know, pellet feeders that can go off and spread grain around, things like that. Um, is it one of those things that when we're not there or is the main things that we do to prevent an elephant from doing a stereotypy is change their food? Um, regimen change their their we automatically go to food because that's something we can easily control um, those of you that have more elephants you guys find that changing social dynamics as well um, and really changing that around do you see a decrease or an increase or is there a way to reduce um, this unwanted behavior by changing their social dynamics up overnight and throughout the day I don't have enough experience with it. We don't change up that much, especially in relation to 
stereotypy. Um, and I, and I don't know that our data thinking as I speak show that elephants show stereotypy, you know, depending on, on her dynamics, I'm sure we could set it up that it would cause some anxiety, <laughs> but we, we generally haven't, we've never seen it and then made changes to, to see if that play had an impact on it. Um, you know, our, our oldest elephant will sometimes show, show some coping mechanisms when, uh, uh, when we separate young elephants for whatever reason from her, even though she's not the mother, um, you know, for the night or for whatever you'll see her sometimes sway a little more uh, as that. So, you know, I, I know that we've done things that, that increase it. I, we've, I've never looked at managing animals to try to reduce it. Well, it's interesting. The collective experience that we have, and you asked a really good question, and we're stumbling a bit, you know, like um, we talked about the food a little bit. Um, you know, um, that's why I think this, the, us as a community are going to be extremely challenged, you know, for this. You know, the ideal situation is we figure out what causes it, um, and that's when our detractors have no problem telling us why it's happening because they're nothing. I'm not going to say that has nothing to do with it, um, but yeah, it's a really great question you have, and we're getting a lot of a lot of blanks because we really don't know the answers. Did well, the we should, but we shouldn't know the answer because, you know, again, I, it's been said the whole time. You can't jump into an elephant's head and ask them, you know, are you happy right now because you're swaying or are you sad, right? Just said he was, he was fidgeting. He could be the happiest one out of all three of us, right? You know, and I, I think that's the unknown that you're never, you're never going to solve that. I don't think, you know, I'm sure a scientist at some point will come up with a paper where they examine the brain and the neurons and, you know, all of that, but um, way above my head. But for me, I, I tell that to people all the time. I can't jump into an animal's head and ask them why they're doing a certain behavior. You know, it could be anything. Um, so, you know, again, we, we shouldn't, we're, we're never going to know the answer. I don't think, you know, not in any time soon. Well, in some cases, an animal that's exhibiting it may be actually doing better in the yeah. moment because they're doing it, which is why they do it in the first place. Whether or not it's perceived right or or whether it is a good thing or not, the bottom line is the animal, I'm, I'm guessing there's something about it that makes them feel better, I guess. There's a reason. Something's reinforcing about it, whether it's, you know, it's just, you know, again, I go back to the sucking the thumb thing. You know what I mean? I don't know why the hell somebody would suck their thumb. I, I, I don't think I sucked my thumb as a kid you know, and, and everything, but you know, there's something about it that makes them feel better while they're doing it. So even if it's not great on the continuum of things we want to see, if it's an animal that's, that does it and it's in their repertoire of behavior, they're probably a little bit better off when they're doing it than right before they start or whatever that, whatever that is going on to make them want to do it. Now, conversely, I don't think that we're doing them a disservice by giving them other things to do to, to reduce it. I think what we're doing is we're preventing, we're you know, we're reducing it by preventing those feelings or whatever's going on to make them do it. But like I said, you know, the minute, you know, the seconds before an animal starts to do it, they're probably a little bit better off than when they start. So I don't know if that makes any perfect scientific sense, but if you think about it, I mean, they're doing it because they, they get, they're getting something out of it. But I, so 
that's a good point. And I think animals that, that I have been around that I see start to exhibit uh, stereotypy that, that you can maybe pinpoint to a reason. We definitely try to change the environment, whatever it is. If there's, if it's from, you know, social pressure from other elephants or, you know, whatever it is, we often try to change it. Elephants in my mind that have done it for so long that it becomes self-reinforcing. I try to, uh, when you can't anticipate and be proactive and you have to be reactive, I just try to interrupt it and get their attention, do something, maybe do a few behaviors, uh, reinforce them, move them on their way, move them, move their feet, move the location. Um, you know, and I've never seen, I've never seen an increase in stereotypy after doing that, which tells me that, uh, what I'm doing isn't reinforcing the stereotypy. So that's a good thing. Um, so maybe that change in behavior is something I've done to stop once to when I'm re when it's a reactive, when I'm being reactive to the elephant, those are the things I do. Uh, but if it is something that, uh, I can, I can have an idea of what's causing it, then I will definitely change it and try to stop it then. That makes sense. I, yeah. I, I think too, uh, cause we were talking about elephants um, and I don't want to use the word problem, but this is stereotypies all throughout animals, period, right? It's not just an elephant thing, I guess, um, for the, if there's a common person listening to this, um, to know that it's not just an elephant issue, you know, it happens with polar bears and otters, and, you know, all, all kinds of animals, right? And then, yeah, you know, and I don't want to misconstrue my, my previous comment, I don't think it's a good thing. I, I also don't think it's the end of the world. So I'm certainly not making excuses or justifying, you know, the fact that elephants do it and that it's no big deal. All I'm just saying is that if you boil it down, you know, there's a reason why they're doing it. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm certainly not excusing it or, you know, um, you know, I, if, if, if we're all equal, I would say, no, I wish they wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? But uh, obviously I think that again, it's a, it's a biological thing. Um, there's a drive and again, they get some, they're getting something out of it. Again, we can, we can decide whether it's a good or bad thing. I mean, but, um, but in the moment, I think they are, you know, they're, they're coping, which is, I guess, sort of the good news. The fact that they're coping that way, that's the best thing. I've never thought about it that way, but you know, when you said, you know, they're probably better off at that moment than they were right before, you know, if, if it's a coping mechanism, um, and then here we are trying to change, trying to change their behavior. You know, are we doing them a disservice by changing, interrupting their coping behavior, you know, their coping mechanism for whatever it is. Granted, like I said, there's definitely animals that I think it's become self-reinforcing after doing it for 30 years of their life and they do it to do it. But if it's truly a coping mechanism, maybe we should let them do it. Well, and I, and I agree with you. And I think what I think our responsibility is to, um, and, and frankly, sometimes it can just be done on a boredom. There ain't a damn other thing to do, right? So I think what we're doing is, you know, we're not. Um, what we're doing is we're 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 changing the amount of time that those situations arise, and that bring on the the need to do it, right? So we're not. So, so basically what we're trying to do is we're not knocking them out of their ability to cope. What we're doing is we're reducing their ability to need to cope, ideally, 
right? So what we're, we're trying to do through our management is reduce the amount of time that they would have to use that mechanism because I guess, I guess the thought is it, there's a better situation right now that doesn't make them feel like that or, or, or go into that, you know, sort of uh, groove that they fall into when either they're stressed or there's nothing going on or they're anticipating the next thing. I think ideally if we could keep things, you know, either random enough that they're not anticipating or not stressed enough, that they fall into that or not bored enough that they fall into that. I think if that's the responsibility that we have is to, to your point. Yeah. If it, I don't want them to, uh, to lose the ability to do it, what I would like to do is create a situation where they don't have to do it. You know what I mean? If, if the situation arises and that's kind of what I was saying earlier is that when you do see it, it's informing you that that's what's going on right now for whatever reason. We know that that's the behavioral repertoire they're, they're exercising and exhibiting right now is because one of these three potential situations is going on. And again, the cadence to it and, and the rhythm of it and everything can also tell you things, whether it's boredom or stress or whatever. But I think our goal is to create situations and that, that's how we reduce it. Again, not that not total elimination, but but when we're when we're creating good situations um, where we can reduce it, I think that the byproduct of that is, I, I would be safe to say that whatever's going on is generally good. I mean, if they're not doing it because they're getting chased around by another elephant or something like that, or they're too weak <laughs> to do it or something, that's obviously not that's obviously not good either. But I think if we're creating situations where the elephants don't need to exercise that, that's probably a good thing. You know, the one thing, too, is we obviously our focus is, is elephants, but um, we just look at across species, you know, whoever's worked with giraffes, you know, in one of the stereotypies that people talk about are oral stereotypies. So how many, how many hours or has anybody seen giraffes pick things over and over again? That doesn't seem to draw the attention as much as a like swaying elephant, for example. Um, you know, if you're going to, we had on the Zoom here with a bunch of giraffe keepers. We say, hey, how are you going to stop your, um, your giraffe from licking stuff all the time? I think they would all kind of smile and say, yeah, good luck with that. Um, same, they have the same challenges. Why is, it, why is a giraffe doing that? Does that automatically mean the giraffe is in an abnormal environment and that is automatically a coping mechanism? Maybe it could be. Um, do we think that's a problem for giraffes? You know, we think it's not a problem for giraffes. You know, is it a problem for elephants? Because it's a different type of stereotypy at all. So I think that's something that is definitely not just restricted to um, elephants in, in our in our field. You know, if you want to look at Wikipedia and look at, you know, stereotypy and stuff like that, there's lots of, you know, references to, um, you know, having to cope to an abnormal environment. And um, like we talked about before, you know, what is abnormal? We don't know. If, a, if an elephant is born, you know, at our facility, how can that be an abnormal environment? That's that's all they know. And if we are seeing, well, you know, go ahead. I mean, the ability the ability to cope with your environment is a healthy thing. How you do it could be the unhealthy part, right? So the fact that they are coping is good. We just need to decide, you know, I guess how how we feel about that mechanism. I mean, there's there's you know, people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol that are coping with their lives and their environments and everything else. And that's not necessarily the good, the best part, you know, and I'm not trying to draw a hard parallel between stereotypy and, you know, drug abuse or something, but <laughs> I mean, the ability to cope is, is a healthy thing. It's just, you know, sometimes the, the way you do it may not be the best. And kind of what I hear from, from you is that, um, that, you know, there's, there's, there's good coping and there's bad coping. Right. And, 
it doesn't mean that all stereotypy is bad coping, right? Um, could be good. I, you know, and again, that's where I think we, we don't know if it's good or bad in that moment. I think we can guess, you know, off reading the behavior, we know the animals and things like that, but do we truly know? Um, eh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Thank you for once again, listening to this edition of Packy Chat. Appreciate you taking the time to listen to us again. Packy Chat's all about just conversation. Take things you heard, uh, things that might work for you, and use them. That's great. Things you don't agree with, well, that's okay, too. We're not here to tell you there's one way to do it. We're just here to start conversation and have some thought. Once again, thanks a lot for listening to Packy Chat. We appreciate you listening. Mm-hmm.